0: Well, have you seen it yet? That's what I heard people ask me for months. You know, have, you, have you seen it? I, I watched all of it. It was amazing. I binged on it the other night, and it was just so incredible. Oh my gosh, you would love it, Dion. You've got to see it. It's right up your alley. Uh, what people don't seem to understand about me, though, is the more you hype something, the more you tell me something's amazing, the least likely I am, the less likely I am to ever try it. Anyone else like that? Um, yeah, the other night I was at dinner with some friends, and I had been eyeing the surf and turf on the menu. And uh, the waiter went around and took everyone else's order first, and every person at the table ordered surf and turf. So I ordered the polenta. I had no choice, they forced me into it, um, I just couldn't go along with them like that and, and finally my wife, she just compelled me over and over, no really Dion, I think you'd love it, and so we sat down together and we watched the first episode of Netflix's hit series, Stranger Things, and I gotta say, it was pretty awesome Lived up to the hype, no doubt. I mean, it's set in the 80s, so being a kid who grew up in the 80s, I love that. Um, an amazing cast of really talented kid actors, plus Winona Ryder, so being a teenager in the 90s. Who doesn't love Winona, Winona Ryder? Um, and then on top of that, there's a really intriguing storyline, and I won't, I won't spoil the storyline for you if you're still holding out. I understand if you're still holding out. Um, but if you if you are, I won't spoil the plot for you. But the premise is pretty simple. The premise of the show is this simple question, are things... Just as they appear to be, or is there more than meets the eye? See, we love that plot. It's, it's the plot of most mysteries or thrillers, a lot of movies, a lot of books. And yet, the way we live our life is entirely different. We, we love that when it comes to our entertainment, but the way we live life, we tend to live life completely at face value, we don't spend our days thinking about are there other dimensions or time travel? Are there, is there a spiritual realm? Are there angels and demons? We don't think about that stuff like, like monsters and demigorgons. We don't think about that stuff. Instead, we spend also our days thinking about what? We think about what am I gonna wear today? What should I eat for lunch? Oh yeah, I gotta pick up that thing. Don't forget tomorrow. I gotta go and uh, I gotta make sure I grab. and. We tend to live life in a very flesh and blood kind of way, living life very much at surface Uh, level at, at face value. But there are moments in life where we get a glimpse of something that might be deeper. We start to wonder, are there unseen realities? Are there things buried below the surface that we just don't take time to notice? Is there more to life than meets the eye? Is there more than just flesh and blood, surface level living? And that's what this series is about. It's called Stranger Things. And in the series, we're going to look at things that are, are hidden, that are under the surface, things like a spiritual realm, angels, demons, good, evil. Um, we're going to talk about things that we don't always face. And, and for some of us, those things may be uncomfortable, or they may be awkward, or they may seem far-fetched, or it may all just seem kind of weird. And so today, to kick off the series, I'm going to share with you one of the weirdest stories that Jesus ever told, at least in my opinion, which is saying something because Jesus told a lot of weird stories. If you read the Bible and um, you, you think, and especially if you're newer to the Bible, you're just more honest about it. As you're in the Bible more, I think we just kind of deny the weirdness of it. But if you're new to the Bible and you start reading through the Gospels and you look at some of the stuff that Jesus says or does, it's strange He says some strange stuff, he does some strange stuff, and today we're going to look at um, a story from Jesus that I think is really, really strange. Now, to give you some context, Jesus is teaching uh, as he dives into the story about the kingdom of God. Which is this unseen reality that exists below the surface? It's not life at face value, but he talks about how the reign of rule, the reign and rule of God, is active in the world, but it's just it's it's operating kind of beneath the surface, beyond what we can see. And Jesus, the kingdom of God, is his favorite subject. That's what he teaches on more than anything else. And and so he's describing the kingdom of God and telling people not to miss it, not to ignore it. Um, but in the middle of this uh, of this teaching on the kingdom of God, he starts talking about wealth. Because for Jesus, wealth is one of those things that can keep us living at face value, taking life at face value, living at surface level. Wealth has a way of doing that. And and wealth can keep us from seeing and taking hold of the deeper things in life, the unseen things, things like the kingdom of God. And so Jesus also loved to talk about wealth. Actually, money and possessions was the thing Jesus loved to talk about second most, or second best, right after the kingdom of God. It was kingdom of God, then wealth and possessions. So in Luke chapter 16, he's talking about the kingdom of God, then he talks about wealth and possessions. And right in the middle of that, he tells this story that is kind of about wealth, but it also includes some stranger things. We're going to look at it today. If you're here in the room, uh, page 1049, if you're joining us online, you can look along here. Anyone can look along on the screen as well. Luke 16. Starts off this way with this story. He says, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, and lived in luxury every day? At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. So uh, Jesus starts into a story. It's 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 a parable. It's kind of different than most parables, though, because in most parables, characters don't have names. This has led some people to wonder, is this actually a true story? Is Jesus talking about a real-life example of, of some people? And he's giving us insight to what happened behind the scenes. I don't, I don't believe that's the case. I believe it's a story much like a, a parable or a fable. Um, in fact, there are some, there's some evidence that there, there was kind of, this was a, a, a motif of storytelling in the ancient world. That these were two characters that would show up in a lot of stories. Kind of like if I start off a joke and I said, there's a priest and a minister and a rabbi. You're kind of like, oh... I know where this is going. Or or maybe even better, if we're talking about a fable, I said there was once a tortoise and a hare. And you'd go, oh, okay. So maybe Jesus is referencing a really well-known folk story to teach a deeper lesson. We don't know for sure, but it seems like it's a story. What you do know is that there are two main characters in this story so far. There's a rich man who is nameless, and there's a poor man, a poor beggar named Lazarus. He's given a name. And, uh, and, and he's, he's got a rough life. So those are the two main characters in the story. Let's, let's see what happens. It says, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. We'll talk about that more in a minute. The rich man also died and he was buried. So um, in this story, you don't know these characters very long before they both die. And, and here's the thing. Death has a way of opening up our eyes to the deeper things of life, doesn't it? Think about what people are eulogized for at a funeral. The things that, you know, people get up and say about a person who's recently deceased. The things that we focus on in those moments tend to be pretty different than the things that we focus on for most of our lives. The things that we praise people for in death tend to look different than the things that we envy people for in life. Isn't that true? Death is a way of opening up our eyes to greater things, to seeing beyond life at face value. But even more, it's it's often in death and not, for some of us, not until death, the death of someone else, that we become aware of deeper spiritual realities that exist. Suddenly in death, we start to ask questions that maybe we don't spend a lot of time asking in life. We, we, we wonder and, and we look at our loved one in a coffin and we say things like, she's not here, she's in a better place. Which is kind of different than how we normally think about things because for most of the time… We, we equated completely her with that body that's in the coffin, and, and now we're going to lay that coffin into the ground, and we're saying, no, 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 that's, that's not her, she's somewhere else, and suddenly we're talking differently than we normally do, Right? that's not her then where did she go and who's there and it raises all these questions for us and, and after that do our spirits go or are we just wandering to earth as ghosts or do we become a part of a cosmic oversoul or do we go to a place like heaven or hell is there some final resting place for us suddenly our minds are filled with questions because we know in the moment of death that it just doesn't seem possible that that could be it That all of this that makes up a a person, our our life, our being, it it just doesn't seem to make sense that it can all just go away and and cease to exist. There must be something more, we wonder. And of course, we argue about what that might be, or we disagree about what that might be, that's something more. And yet it's often in the moment of death that our eyes become open to the fact that there could be something more. Maybe life isn't only what we can see. Maybe there are deeper, unseen things. Realities. In the story, it's much the same, except it's not the death of a friend. Uh, Both of these guys, they die. And it said that the the beggar is carried off by the angels to Abraham's side, and the the rich man is, he dies and he's buried. And and now it picks up where the rich man was left, where we left off with him. It says, in Hades, which is an interesting word, the realm of the dead, not exactly the equivalent for the Hebrew word that references hell. It's maybe, again, part of a, a fable story. So, in this realm of the dead, where the rich man was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him and he said, Father Abraham. Abraham's the father of the Hebrew nation. He is, he is the one to whom God gave a promise to become a, a great nation. And so Abraham is, is a pretty important guy in, uh, in the Bible, in Hebrew history. So he called to him, Father Abraham. He's calling from Hades. Um, to Abraham far away. Have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Uh, So not to make too much of it, but again, you get these features of a story that make us realize that maybe this isn't a historical story. For instance, spirits don't have fingers or tongues. Um, Also, um, I'm not sure that it is logically accurate or theologically accurate that, that um, you can call back and forth between hell and heaven, that would get pretty distracting, wouldn't it? People catcalling you from, from hell while you're in heaven. Um, so again, maybe, maybe there's a deeper purpose to this story. And if there is a deeper purpose to this story, what is it? See, there are some who see this as a true story and, and they look at it to give us a sense of the architecture of heaven and hell to help us to, to understand exactly what heaven and hell might be like. I don't think the point of this story is to give us the architecture of heaven and hell but I do think that part of this story is to give us insight into what the afterlife might look like for us. So, it's not about the particularities of heaven and hell, but I do think it's meant to give us some insight into what the afterlife might consist of. Let's just look at this story differently for a minute. Let's start off with the rich guy. See, the rich guy, during the course of his life, lived a pretty good life. He was rich. And so that meant that his table was always full, he always had plenty of people who were willing to join him at his table, because who doesn't want a great meal? People would look at him and they would say, wow, this guy's really rich. He must be blessed by God. There must be some reason that he's wealthy. And and they looked at him and they said, man, what? he must be a good guy. He must be a righteous man. Because why would God bless a, a scoundrel with so many resources? And so people assumed he was a good guy. And so he had people at his table all the time. He had lots of good things. He seemed to live a really, really good life. All is well. He is rich. Life is good. In the meantime, you've got this beggar, Lazarus, who um, his, his life is spent at the gate of the rich man hoping for table scraps, and his company isn't the brightest and best of society. He's hanging out with the dogs who lick his sores. He's, in, he's afflicted. He's in discomfort. He's hungry. He's forgotten, and then both of them die. They close their eyes, and when they open up their eyes again, there has been a great reversal Suddenly, Ab, uh, Lazarus uh, is, is now at the side of Abraham. He opens his eyes and he's with Abraham. I told you, Abraham is, is the most you know, popular, wealthy, righteous guy in the Old Testament. And so to be in Abraham's company, that means you found your way to the good place. Abraham doesn't hang out with losers. And so if you're hanging out with Abraham, you're in good company. If you're at Abraham's side, that's a place of incredible honor. And in the meanwhile, this man who was rich and had a good, easy life and was popular and was seen to be loved by God, suddenly he finds himself in this place of torment. He is deprived. He is suffering. He is is going without. And and we scratch our heads and we say, well, what happened? There was this great reversal. And I'm not sure that anything happened. I, I think instead, all along, there was a mistake in perception. See, when we may look at this and, and we may say, gosh, you got to be careful because everything will get reversed. Everything will get turned upside down. And in a way, that's true, but I think it's truer to say that all along there was a mistake in perception. You see, Lazarus, the beggar, the reality was, even though he was a beggar sitting outside the gate waiting for table scraps, he didn't have much to live for, the reality was that Lazarus spent his life in the company of giants like Abraham. See, we know throughout the scriptures what made Abraham great. It wasn't that he was wealthy or popular or the father of a nation. It was that he was a man of the promise. It says in the scriptures that Abraham believed God and his faith was credited to him as righteousness. What made Abraham so great was he was a man of the promise. He's a man of faith. And Lazarus, the beggar, he had nothing other than the promise of God. And so while uh, from earthly eyes, it looks like this was, this was a man who was forsaken, forgotten by God, cursed, not blessed. The reality was Lazarus had spent his whole life in the company of people like Abraham. He was a man of faith clinging to the promise. He had nothing else to cling to. And in the meantime, the, the rich man, well, he had always been a selfish scoundrel, <laughs> I mean, it looked for a minute like he was living the high life, but, but the reality is he, he, he's, he's an empty guy, a tortured guy, a guy living in agony, a, a guy without any real friends. I mean, look at the way he's ordering Lazarus around in the afterlife. I mean, who does he think he is? He's in Hades and he's yelling to Lazarus, hey, send that guy to come dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue. Who does he think he is? And I tell you, people like that, people who look around at others and see them as objects who are there just to make their life better or see, see life as, as, as just there to help them live in prosperity and, and live in comfort, those are always tortured souls. And no matter how many people gather around their table, they're always alone because I'll tell you, someone who treats people that way, a guy like that, I guarantee he has no real friends. See, it's always been this way. In the end, the picture in the end, that's, that's how it's always been. For a while, though, it was masked. It was hidden. There was a mistake in perception. We didn't see what was really going on under the surface. And so, so what we learn about this is the afterlife is more of a, of a continuum, it's more of the same. It's not a great reversal. Sure, some things melt away and some things are revealed, but the state of our hearts, the state of our souls in the here and now, Give way to what the state of our being is in the afterlife. But the tricky thing is that in the here and now, if we don't pay attention, if we take life at face value, we, we will mistakenly perceive what's going on and we'll call the scoundrel who is, a, who is a corrupt person, who is not a friend in the world, we'll look at him and we'll envy him and, and we'll pity the beggar when in reality it should be the exact opposite. See, there was a mistaken perception. In the afterlife, we realize it had always been this way, but things were just masked and they were hidden. And the truth is the same with us. Sometimes in life, again, we catch glimpses of, of what's deeper. And, um, you know, sometimes you might know someone whose marriage falls apart. Maybe it's your marriage, but maybe it's a friend or a family member. And, and, and you know, they say, I don't know what happened. Just one day she walked in and she says, I want a divorce. And, and I thought everything was great. I had no idea there were problems. And, and while there's deep compassion there for people who are suffering in that way, I think we all know deep down that that's not true. If, if she walked in and says, I want a divorce, I'm leaving you, marriage wasn't great. You just weren't paying attention. Or maybe you were paying attention, but you were just paying attention to the wrong things. Or in life, how often do we measure who's winning by the most superficial things? You know, if you're a married man uh, with kids in this culture, I'll tell you what you measure your life by. I'll tell you how you measure who's winning. You measure it by your neighborhood, your car, your vacations, and what you give to your kids. And sometimes we convince ourselves that that's what it means to win in life, and we size ourselves up, we measure ourselves up compared to to other people on the basis of those criteria. And and the reality is, if, if we evaluate life in that way, we know we're missing. We know we're missing some more significant, some deeper things. In this series, we're going to talk about the spiritual realm, good and evil, angels and demons, stuff that we don't normally talk about, that we don't like to think about, that for some of us, it it may sound supernatural, it may sound pre-scientific, it may sound superstitious or, you know, just just kind of nonsense stuff. But in this series, we're going to acknowledge that there is a whole reality existing right beneath the surface. And, And here's the thing, here's the lesson so far. That if we are not careful, someday we're gonna close our eyes and it'll be the last time we close our eyes here and when we open our eyes again, someday if we're not careful, we're gonna open up our eyes and, and, and we'll stand before a great throne because if you're someone who believes in Jesus, if you trust in Jesus, that's where you'll be. But even still, even if you trust in Jesus, if you're not careful, someday you'll open your eyes in front of that great throne and, and you will realize that you have spent your whole life missing it. Yes, you were clear on who Jesus was as a son of God. But you were missing so many other things. You spent your life focused on the wrong things. Which is what's happening here. I mean, these, these guys are confused, or at least the rich man is. He doesn't understand what has happened to him. Um, but but uh, here's what Abraham says. Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. You were a pretty rotten person and God showed kindness to you. It wasn't that you earned it. That was God showing mercy to you. While Lazarus received bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, between where we are and where you are, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. See, a day is coming where we will not be able to ignore the realities that exist under the surface any longer. We can play along. We can play life by other rules. We, we can live at a superficial level now, and, and we've got some time. The thing is, we don't know when the last minute, or the last time, I should say, we close our eyes will be. We don't know when it will be too late, but what we do know is that a day is coming When the realities that exist will be fixed. The the state of our heart will be fixed. The choices we have made, they will give way to our destiny. And there will be no going back and forth. There will be no changing your mind in that moment. There will be a chasm that's fixed and it will be too late. So so the point of this, the point of this is that the time to listen, the time to be aware isn't then. Your eyes will be open someday. The point of this, Jesus is saying, is, is the time to listen, the time to have your eyes wide open is now. Well, there's still time to do something about it. Uh, The rich man says back, okay, 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 it's too late for me. I I get that. Then then here's what I'm asking. I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, "Uh, no, I don't think so. (laughs) They've got Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. So this, this man, he says, okay, it's, it's too late for me. I get that, I get that. But, but why don't you just send Lazarus to go and warn my brothers? Like, like let them know so that they don't miss that. And, and, uh, and, and Abraham replies to him in this way. Now, now, to be fair to the rich man, in a way he's right. In a way this seems a little unfair. Because to take life at face value, that's kind of all we have, right? I mean, we can only see what we can see. We can only perceive what we can perceive. And and so in a way, it just kind of makes sense that that you just kind of live life. You you see what you can see. You do what you can. You try your best, and that should be good enough. And yet Abraham in in the parable reminds him, he says, Abraham says, no, 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 no. It's not just that you can see what you can see. All along you had Moses and the prophets. Now Moses and the prophets, that just simply means the Old Testament scriptures. So uh, Abraham saying to him, it's not just, you know, you had to figure this out on your own. All along you've had the scriptures. And the scriptures would have given you insight. They would have helped you see that you were on the wrong path. They would have helped you see the deeper realities of your heart, the deeper realities of life. The scriptures would have opened your eyes. They would have opened your ears. And, and, and we sit here today as people who also have the scriptures I mean, even more so than, than these guys, we, we've got them in bound form, we're literate, we know how to read. And yet the problem with the scriptures is, first of all, it's a big book and it's kind of confusing sometimes, but even when we do understand it, when, when we open up the scriptures, man, there is stuff in there that is that is weird, that is challenging, that is unreasonable, that is hard to hear. There's stuff in there that you read and you're like, really, God, you expect me to do this? So just because we have the scriptures doesn't mean that it's easy to listen to. It doesn't mean that it's comfortable. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with it or believe it, right? All right? Let's go back to this subject that Jesus loves to talk about. The kingdom of God is his favorite subject. His second favorite subject is money and possessions. It's wealth. And so the scriptures teach over and over again about the dangers of wealth, how, how wealth can numb us to the deeper things. It can keep us living so superficially, so on the surface, taking life completely at face value, valuing the wrong things. And so Jesus makes clear that the only way to get under the power of, to get out from under the power of wealth is generosity. Generosity is the antidote for wealth. Jesus makes that so clear. He says, you know, if you have wealth, here's what you do. Use that wealth to store up treasures for yourself, not here, but in heaven. He says in Luke 16, earlier in the same chapter, he says, use worldly wealth to gain friends so that when that worldly wealth is gone, those friends will will welcome you into eternal dwelling places. In In other words, use your wealth for the sake of eternal things. And the scriptures teach us over and over again that that wealth can be to our detriment unless we leverage the power of generosity to be the antidote to wealth, that, that wealth can be dangerous to us spiritually, and yet we read those words. And I think deep down, even though we fight against it, we know Jesus is talking to us. We know that we're the wealthy. And the word is so clear, Moses and the prophets, Jesus is so clear, the scriptures are clear, but what do we say? We say things like, well, the church just wants my money. Looks like they're doing fine. They don't need my money. What are they doing with my money anyway? Or I'm doing fine. You know, wealth isn't a problem for me. No, I'm good. I, I love God. I'm, wealth isn't a problem for me. Or, or God doesn't care how much I give. And, and, and we push back and we, and we say, no way, that, that can't possibly be true. You know? I'll tell you, I have this experience all the time. Just the other day, my wife and I, we, we were just looking around. And I don't know if you have these moments where you look around and you look around at other people and how they live and you go like, how do people do it? How do they live in those neighborhoods and drive those cars and how do they send their kids to these places and how do they, like, how, how do they, how do they have enough money? What do these people do for a living? And, and we were just wrestling with that and trying to figure that out and it dawned on us that one of the reasons that maybe we can't live as well as other people is because we've chosen to be generous instead. And I said, you know, Joseph, we weren't so generous we could live a lot better. And for a moment that sounded really tempting. Like, think, think about how we could live. It would be a very different life for us. And here's the thing, I know the scriptures. I, I know them better than most. I know what Jesus says. I know he says that wealth is dangerous. I know that right there, that's a serious temptation uh, it's, that's baiting me into living life at a surface level. I know Jesus says that the only way to deal with wealth is to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven and that's how you neutralize the power of wealth and that's how your wealth can become a blessing to you rather than a curse. I, I know that that's true, but sometimes I'll tell you, just like the rest of you, I struggle to hear that. I don't want to believe it I don't want to accept it I'd rather just ignore it or even though when I read the gospels I see Jesus talking about angels and demons and spiritual battles it's, it's so scriptural and yet I'd rather just ignore that I'd rather dismiss it I'd rather say that's just a bunch of boogeyman stuff that's just a bunch of people who didn't understand mental illness and the other things going on in the world this is, these are unscientific people that's their problem just because you have the scriptures to guide you doesn't mean they're easy to listen to, and, and that becomes a stumbling block for us, and certainly was a stumbling block for this rich man. So he says back, he says back, okay, no, 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 I know we have the scriptures, but you don't understand, Abraham. The scriptures are fine, but I'll tell you what will really get them, my brothers, that will really help them see, not the scriptures, but if someone from the dead goes to them, then they will repent. Now, how often do we do this? We're like, we're like God, I hear you, but if you would just say it in a different way, like, if you didn't just have it written down in, in this book, but if you would skywrite it, or if you would just speak it from heaven, then I would have an easier time believing it. I, I know what it says here, but if you could just say, if you could just have someone appear to me, maybe an angel, and they would just tell me, then I would listen. Then I would do it. So that's what I mean. You know, we've got the scriptures, but I mean, those are confusing. You can, who knows, you know, like... But, but man, if, if you send someone back from the dead and, and then a dead man stands before my brother's now living and he warns them of what's coming, then they're going to repent. Then they're going to change their lives. Then they're going to turn their direction. Listen what Abraham says. Abraham said to him, huh, nice try. But if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Here's what I don't want you to miss in this really weird story. I don't want you to miss the fact that the man who's telling the story is not Abraham, it's Jesus. He's the one who's telling the story. And Jesus came into the world to give us a glimpse of the deeper things, of of the stranger things, the things that we need to see that exist below the surface to, to help us understand that the kingdom of God is active here. When we see worldly kingdoms and worldly governments and we get all worried about how those things are going, Jesus came to tell us that now the reign and rule of God is moving on this planet and yet it's hidden, it's unseen. We, we don't always know that it's there but it's active and he came to give us a glimpse of the deeper things and of spiritual realities and, and the very man who's, who came into the world to give us a glimpse of the deeper things so that we would not miss it in a very short period of time as he tells this story, is going to be put to death by the very people he's telling the story to. They're so resistant. To the reality that Jesus is painting because they just want to see it the way they want to see it, that they're going to put him to death. But after they put him to death, he's going to come back from the dead. He's going to stand resurrected before them. He's going to offer life to anyone who will turn from whatever it is they're following to turn to God instead. That's what it is to repent. It's not so much about turning away from your behavior. It's turning your, your trust and your hope and wherever you're placing that and putting it back on God where it belongs. And, and Jesus is going to stand there back from the dead in front of them. And he's going to say, hey, I come with forgiveness and life for you. Turn to me and live. And even when a man comes back from the dead to warn them to turn, they will not be convinced. Talk about stubborn. See, above all what this is, is this is Jesus Offering a prophecy, a prophecy uh, against these people who are listening to him. Saying, you just don't get it. And even when a man comes back from the dead, you're going to miss it. Uh, and we look at that and we say, man, I, how stubborn. And yet we, we understand stubbornness, don't we? Come on. We understand stubbornness all too well. We sit here today and we not only have Moses and the prophets, but we have Jesus We have his words recorded for us. We have the word made flesh who came into the world to open up our eyes, to open up our ears, to show us what's really going on in this world so that we aren't swept up in what's happening at surface level, at face value. We not only have Moses and the prophets, but we have Jesus. See, God did for us what Abraham refused to do for Lazarus. God went above and beyond and said, okay, we'll try it. If you think that's going to work, if you don't accept my written word, then, then how about this? I'm going to send a man back from the dead for you to convince you that what he said is true. And so if we sit here today with convincing proof, and yet we still have a choice to make. And the choice just isn't, will I believe in Jesus? Will I accept him as my savior? The choice is, will we listen to him? even to the things that we don't want to hear? Will we let him open our eyes, even to the things that we would rather not see? Or will we instead choose to persist living in a way that is, that is comfortable, not truthful, but is comfortable, not real, but is just easier to swallow? We have all the evidence we need. A man has come back from the dead to tell us everything we need to know. The question is, will you listen Will you believe? Will you allow your eyes to be open to the deeper things? See, this is not just about your final destination. This is not just about where you end up at the end of it. Remember, that's a, it's, it's not a reversal in the end. It's, it's a continuity. It's, it's about opening up our eyes to the things that really exist now, to, to open up our hearts to the things that are really godly things in the here and now. And so we have a choice to make. Are we going to go on living in this constructed reality, this, this Truman Show reality where we know it's fake, but it's somehow easier to swallow and it's not more meaningful, but it's more comfortable? Are we going to go on living just going with the flow where you don't have to push back, you don't have to be a nonconformist, you don't have to miss out, you don't have to ask, answer any heavy questions, you just accept things at face value even when you know you're being deceived? Or will we? I'm speaking especially to people who've already received Jesus as their savior. We also let this same Jesus who came back from the dead to give us life, we also let this same Jesus show us life as it really is. Which includes some stranger things, but also includes some really beautiful things. Some things that can truly make life rich, some things that make life truly worth living. Will we let him open up our ears and our eyes and our hearts to see reality as it really is? Let me pray for that for us. Father in heaven, thanks for going above and beyond what even Abraham was willing to do in the parable. Thank you for loving us so much and wanting us to have wholeness here and now and forever so much that you not only sent your son to die, but you brought him back from the dead as a testimony to his credibility. Thank you that Jesus spoke words of truth to us that that may be hard for us to hear. They may scare us sometimes. And whether that's talking about spiritual things or just life things, Father, here's my prayer. That you would give us the ability Through your Holy Spirit, that you'd give us the ability to trust the words of Jesus, especially those words that are hard, that are confusing, that that make us question or wonder, the the words that scare us. Father, would you give us the ability as as we sit with Jesus' words, these words or any of Jesus' words, especially those that are hard, will you give us the ability? open up our hearts to those words so that those words may open up our eyes and our ears to see things as they actually are. Father, so that we might experience life that is truly life here and now and certainly for forever. God, I I pray that we would be so certain of the love of Jesus in our life, so certain of his dedication to us, that when we encounter his word, we would trust it. Make that so of us. Deepen our trust, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.